Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The following program contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go down and go to hell. I'm not alone. Stop for 911. Where's your emergency? Oh, this is Sandy. The pretty one look. Talk to the roof. Send the police. Send the police. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now Carl Williams. He's still coming down with this and just pulled it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would who who whose life would be. I harm someone each time. I- Kill someone to be an enormous amount, uh, especially at first, an uh, enormous amount of, of, of horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again to come back even stronger. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Sarabat. And we do Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. What will you be talking about this week? Fart Nugget. <laughs> Thank you. I like that name. Fart Nugget. It's good. It's yeah, you, you, you appreciate it? I love it. I'm glad to hear that. Well, Tara, I have a story suggested to us by Brooke Shandor. She emailed us and she writes, Hey, Tara and Barney, I know you guys like to hear suggestions on true crimes that aren't that big in the media. Well, I've got one for you. A guy named Samuel Boob. <laughs> yes, that's truly his last name. He was murdered in a small town named Centre Hall, in Pennsylvania. I currently live about 15 minutes away from it. It was part of a tangled web of affairs and deceit. My boyfriend actually knew the guy and said he was a very loving and caring man that would give you the shirt off his back. I figured it would be a good one to do since it's never really made it past the local news but was an interesting story to say the least. Well, she's not wrong, Tara. I look forward to hearing it. What do you have for us this week? I have another Yoldi tale. Ooh. Harry Thor was an entitled sadist who believed a famous architect named Stanford White was the cause of all the issues in his life. After murdering Stanford, Harry expected to be hailed as a hero, and due to a huge media campaign organised by his doting mother, for a while there he was. Sounds intriguing. Oh, far more money than sense. It's it's a nutty tale. I wish I had that problem. Yeah, we kind of have the opposite problem. (laughs) (laughs) We really do. Now, of course, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. Okay, Tara, I believe it's time for us to get murdery. So this cracker of a story that I'm going to read is actually a patron request for Helen Ray from Cincinnati. So thanks for that one, Helen. Harry Kendall Thor was born on February 12th, 1871 to Pittsburgh coal and railroad millionaire William Thor Sr. and his second wife Mary. Coal and railway millionaire, hey? They'd go together, I guess. Definitely, back like, then they did. Like peaches and cream and coaching a team. Harry had five siblings, one of which was an older brother who died in infancy. Apparently he was in bed with his mum and she, like, accidentally smothered him. Oh. Though knowing what I do about his mum, one has to wonder if it's an an accident at all. Harry's mother indulged his every whim, but was also a rage monster who's said to have possibly had mental health issues, and she was known for abusing the servants. Like, that was her hobby. (laughs) From Mm. Yeah, (laughs) it's kind of like, you've got so much money, you could probably get a better hobby. From an early age, Harry had bouts of insomnia and violent temper tantrums, sometimes upending the dinner from the table and kicking the food into the fireplace. 
damn, you wouldn't have got far around my mum with that kind of behaviour, I've got to say. (laughs) I would not be here today. He was also known to babble incoherently in baby talk, which is something that he continued to do as an adult. And as such, I'm going to continue to read the whole rest of the other and baby talk. Oh, bum, that's bum. really annoying. I'm going to do it for you, Baba. Please don't. Okay, no, I won't. It's it, when I annoy myself. I know I've really like exceeded my personal worst. Yeah, that, does that happen often? <laughs> About seventeen times today so far. But I feel like I've annoyed you more than I've annoyed me, so I'm happy with the balance. true. Yeah. Harry got his jollies by throwing heavy household items at the heads of the servants and would giggle hysterically when he hit them. He probably learned that from his mum. Yeah, I'd say so. I bet they learned to duck and weave. Yeah. Mm. Not a good place to work. Harry went to several private schools in Pittsburgh where he was described by teachers as unintelligent and a troublemaker. Though he did poorly academically, the Thor family name and fortune ensured him admission to Harvard University, where he gained a reputation as one of the most notorious students ever. Harry later bragged that he had studied poker at Harvard. He's also said to have lit his cigars with $100 bills, gone on long drinking binges, attended cockfights, and spent much of his time tomcatting around. Sounds like a cad. Oh, a total cad. Seriously, so far he, he doesn't sound too bad. It, it just it gets worse and worse and worse. <laughs> he chased a cab driver down a Cambridge street with a shotgun, believing that he'd been cheated out of 10 cents change. He doesn't need 10 cents. He does not need no, 10 cents. But it was his attempt to sexually assault several of his male classmates, as well as threatening other students and teachers that led Harvard to eventually expel him. Like a lot of irresponsible rich assholes, he loved his drugs. He injected large amounts of cocaine and morphine and also used laudanum, often drinking a full bottle in just a single gulp. Well, it depends on how big the bottle is, I guess. (laughs) If it was a really tiny bottle, big deal. But if it was like a 1.25 litre like Coke bottle... I'm just going to let oh, you keep talking. Dr. Barney, your science is amazing. You're blinding me with science. <laughs> Sorry, leaders. Sorry, a, a, you know, a, a, a 40-ounce <laughs> bottle. Uh, is that better? Um, no, none of this is better. His father, William, had tried to restrain his son by halving his monthly allowance from $5,000 to 2500 but this was still an outrageous amount of money at the time because the average wage was around $500 a year. Uh, that's a lot of dollars. Yeah, and this guy's getting like 10 times that or five times that every month. It's ridiculous. That's some nice math there. Uh, yeah. Harry's father died in 1893, leaving his 22-year-old son $3 million in his will and heir to a $40 million fortune. Because what this guy needs is more money. Mm, No. When William died, Harry's doting mother increased his allowance to a massive $8,000 a month. It's almost like she wants to fuck him up, isn't it? No, he doesn't need money. He needs a good smack in the mouth, actually. Yeah. A slap on, slap on the bum. Yeah, you think he needs a spanking? He needs a good spanking. Maybe she could have like left him alone with the servants, and they could have yeah, done some a, payback. Held a few uh, objects da art at him. Yeah, I think that was beautifully said. Was, that, was it? Yeah. Unsurprisingly, entitled bastard Harry had a penchant for severe sexual sadism and he liked to do that against sex workers. He and his mother ensured that most of those he brutalised were well paid off to keep the matter private. Now, rumour has it that he liked to gag them, restrain them with handcuffs and beat them with a jewel-encrusted whip. Oh, the fancy whip. Well, he could certainly afford several jewel-encrusted whips. Mum, where's my fancy whip? Yeah, Mum, I can't find my fancy whip. Mum, where'd you put it? Oh, God, Mum, you're a bitch. Use your normal whip. No, I'm not my fancy whip. <laughs> I'm not just beating a servant right now. It's where you left it. <laughs> Have you tried looking in your room? It's not here. <laughs> After being expelled from Harvard, Harry took his shit show on the road and went to Europe. In one notorious incident, he hired an entire hotel floor in Paris and threw a party where the guests were just himself and the 25 most attractive actresses and sex workers he could get his clammy little hands on. Do you have any idea what kind of music you like to listen to, Barney? I mean, if you were organising this orgy, what kind of music would you play? I don't know, maybe Funeral Dirge, um, Military Band? (laughs) 
How did you guess? A marching band. Yeah, marching band. Sexy, right? A military band was hired to play at the soiree as Harry was mad for military marches. He thought marches were the best party music as they lifted the roof off the place. Can you just imagine? Whipping someone to a military march? I mean, I don't whip anyone unless there's a marching band present. (laughs) Well, that's right. He also, when he was staying in hotels, he liked to leave traps for the staff. Like, he'd leave out some money, and then if he caught the staff stealing it, uh, well, he'd do this. Um, He did this at one point with a bellboy, and he caught him stealing it, and then he kept him tied up, naked in the bathtub, torturing him and beating him. It took $5,000 and all the skill of his mother's lawyers to keep the traumatised boy's ordeal out of the papers. Wow. So they're just buying people off. He's just abusing everyone and she's buying them off. This is like the mother-son relationship. Kind of like you and your mum. No, nothing like it actually. (laughs) No, nothing like that at all. Harry Thor, he's a bit of a prick. He's an absolute nightmare is what I would say. Tell me more. Okay. When Harry returned to New York, he assumed that his wealth and privilege would pretty much give him the keys to the city. However, the upper echelons of New York society were unimpressed by his reputation and his applications for coveted memberships in the city's most elite men's clubs were all rejected. Well, he couldn't get into any of those clubs? No, he was actually accepted into one of them, but then he decided that he wanted to ride his horse inside. (laughs) And then they were like, okay... Out you get. You're just too much of a dipshit. No, thank you. I love this story. Then what happened? Well, Harry was convinced that these rejections were due to the intervention of famous architect Stanford White, who dismissed Harry as an ass clown and nicknamed him the Pennsylvania Pug. Ooh. Well, he was from Pennsylvania and he had a baby face. Yeah, right. I don't know if that's accurate, but ass clown definitely oh, is. Oh, he's a total ass clown. Yeah. Oh, biggest ass, ass clown I've seen. In fact... You can only fit one of him in a clown car because he's that big of an ass clown. (laughs) Anyway, uh, this really infuriated narcissistic Harry and ignited a venomous animosity towards Stanford in him. All right, a feud. Oh, total. Well, it's a one-sided feud, though, because Stanford's like, eh, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I don't care, ass clown. Blow it out your ass, clown. Stanford White was popular and respected despite his reputation for liking the green bananas. Uh, green bananas? Yeah, he was into underage girls. Oh, right. But he designed Madison Square Gardens. So he was some kind of genius. And society has proven time and again that so-called genius white guys can do, well, whatever the hell they want. Yeah, especially when they're rich. Oh, yes. Mm. The way that Stanford dealt with women can be demonstrated in how he treated model and chorus girl Evelyn Nesbitt. Oh, yeah. When she was 11, Evelyn's father died and left the family in a dire financial situation. In her early teens, Evelyn began to support her family by posing as an artist model and then as a photographic one. So she was very beautiful and considered like the it girl of her time. Yeah, an Eugenini. It's ingenue. Try it again. Uh, Ogenini. <laughs> it's not an ogenini. Okay. So Evelyn featured in advertisements for companies like Coca-Cola and appeared on the cover of Vanity Fair and Harper's Bazaar, among other magazines. Oh, yeah. They're very famous photos, those. Yeah, yeah. They, they very much are. Now, in July 1901, when Evelyn was 16, she became a chorus girl on Broadway and it was here that she caught Stanford's eye. After manufacturing a meeting with Evelyn, he groomed her by pretending to take a paternal role in her life, paying for her dental work and financially supporting her mother. But Stanford had a clear end game in mind and was manipulative and controlling enough to make it happen. Evelyn later said in her memoirs, He exercised an almost fatherly supervision over what I ate and was particularly solicitous as to what I drank. He found girls easy prey. Oh, what a creepy guy. Oh, no, like everything I say, it just gets worse. Mm. Stanford persuaded Evelyn's mother to leave her daughter under his supervision in New York while she took a trip to visit friends. During this time, Stanford invited Evelyn to dinner at his apartment and raped her. Oh, how old was she? 16. Oh. So she said, he gave me champagne, which was bitter and funny tasting, and I didn't care for it much. After drinking it, Evelyn passed out. She woke up naked in bed next to Stanford and was horrified to see the blood on the sheets from her lost virginity. Oh, he roofied her. Oh, that's awful. 
So Stanford was a powerful man and he emotionally blackmailed Evelyn to keep the rape a secret and managed to dominate her into becoming his mistress. That is, until he tired of her and moved on. She later referred to him as a benevolent vampire. Ooh, that's good. She's got away with words. She does. I would have said worse things. Yeah. Just absolute rapey cunt. Yeah. Yeah. She's far more eloquent than (laughs) than than we are. We we will ever be. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, she is. The following year in 1902, Evelyn was romanced by John Barrymore, who had yet to become a legendary actor and was working as an artist. Oh, Drew Barrymore's grandfather? Is yeah. That right? Yeah. He was also quite famous in his own right. Yeah, he was a bit of a cad. Yeah, oh, he? he loved his boost. Yeah, yeah. Used to hang out with Errol Flynn. Actually, I think I think they even stole his corpse from the cemetery, from the um, mortuary after he died and put it in a chair in his house or something weird yeah, like that. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, <laughs> those guys, they were always up to capers like that. Corpse play, I think they called it. Now, Evelyn's mother disapproved of her relationship with John Barrymore because Wisely. she saw him as a broke-ass man with no future prospects. Well, she got that wrong. but uh, Yeah, she did. Bit of a cad, though. Yeah. yeah, a bit of a cad. I mean, the, the thing is, though, it's like everyone Evelyn goes near is a total cad at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he was less vile than the other two guys I'm talking about. Mm. Yeah. Uh, my vote's for Barrymore at this point. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Men. <laughs> Harry Thor made an attempt to woo Evelyn while she was starring in a play called The Wild Rose, which she went to see 40 times. Nick Cave was there. Stanford White warned Evelyn to stay away from Harry. However, his vague cautions lacked specific details that would have alerted Evelyn to Harry's true nature. He was more like, oh, you should keep away from him. He's, he's got a face like a pug dog. Well, he's a bit social with the women and the men. and uh, I can get a little handsy. He, has a, 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 he leads a life of leisure. See, she's all like, oh, that doesn't sound that too bad. doesn't sound too bad. Right. Man. He likes a, a drink and he does like jewels and leather. Oh, leather's lovely and I also enjoy jewels. You know, well, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, see, mm. I don't, I, he, really, he could have done mm. better. Well, the whole time he could have done better. When Evelyn was hospitalised with an appendicitis in the summer of 1903, Harry saw this as an opportunity to insert himself into her life. His pretend niceness and generous gifts impressed Evelyn's mother, and unlike going nowhere Barrymore, his fortune convinced her that he'd be good husband material. She was wrong. She was very wrong. Mm. Not John Barry less, it's John Barrymore. Uh-huh. When Evelyn was discharged from hospital, Harry managed to convince her and her mother that they should go on a European vacation to help her convalesce. But his manic plans escalated into a non-stop itinerary calculated to weaken Evelyn and exhaust Mrs Nesbitt, leading her to return to the United States. So having alienated her from her mother, Harry then took Evelyn to Paris alone. Oh, I bet bad things are going to happen. Well, yeah, Paris, the city of bad things, (laughs) I believe they call it. (laughs) There he began to try to persuade Evelyn to marry him. Now, she was aware of Harry's obsession with female chastity. Because, like, he likes to go to sex workers and beat them and, you know, sex stuff. But women, chastity. This guy is, like, this guy is the definition of a hypocrite. It's, it drives me a bit nuts. Well, I guess if you've got enough money, you can explain anything to yourself. You can really, buy the truth, you? I guess. Yeah. So she eventually told him that she wasn't a virgin. And this enraged Harry because I guess he laboured under the impression that all chorus girls were virgins. Sounds likely, doesn't it? Now, he managed to get the entire story of Stanford's rape out of Evelyn and used it to fuel his hatred for him and condemn her mother as neglectful. Harry also cuntingly rearranged their itinerary to have it take place in sites associated with virgin martyrs, including Joan of Arc. In a visitor's book at Joan of Arc's birthplace, Harry wrote the inscription, she would not have been a virgin if Stanford White had been around. Yeah, he would have raped Joan of Arc. All right, let's ramp this feud up a bit more. Oh, absolutely. After travelling all over Europe, the trip concluded at an isolated castle in Germany. Uh, Harry hired a butler cook and maid to wait on them, uh, but they actually were housed in the, like one side of the castle while these guys were on the other side. I, I thought you were going to say he hired a, a butler cook and maid to throw shit at. <laughs> to throw shit? Well, that's probably what he means. Yeah. Yeah, so he can throw shit at their heads. Hmm. On their second day in the castle, Harry attacked Evelyn with a whip and beat her severely, the way he liked to do with sex workers. 
Over the next two weeks, he repeated the assault, wounding Evelyn badly. After his reign of terror finally came to an end, he was apologetic and rather jolly. Mm. I wonder if he took the whip with him to Paris or if he bought a new one in Paris. The jewel-encrusted whip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mom, where's my whip? I can't find it anywhere. It's in your room. I've looked there. <laughs> his abuse continued once they returned to Paris, and it was there that she cottoned on to how heavy his use of cocaine was. Under pressure, she wrote to her mother to come and see her. And when Mrs. Nesbitt arrived in Paris, Harry gave her the good news that they were engaged. Hooray. Yeah, no. Not no, good. Not good. No. Eventually, Evelyn managed to get back to New York, where she swore out an affidavit describing Harry's violent assaults on her and claiming that he'd tried to make her sign a complaint against Stanford White for raping her. Evelyn told her friends about the abuse that she'd suffered in Europe, and it was now that she found out about the stories of Harry's previous abhorrent behaviour. Now they tell her. Well, too late. It's a bit late. Due to her financial position and the reputation she had from being Stanford White's mistress, her chances of ever getting respectably married were low, so she continued with the engagement. You know that's not going to end well, don't you? Yeah, I guess a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. Yeah, it's a shame though. Mm. Harry blamed his behaviour in Europe on his anger towards Stanford White and in a vile twist, he assured Evelyn that he forgave her. Make your skin crawl, what? What an ass clown. Oh, unfunny ass clown. Worst kind. The two were married in April 1905. Harry chose the dress Evelyn wore to the wedding. It was black, like his cold dead heart. No white for you, non-virgin. Yeah, that's right. The Thors moved to Harry's family home in Pittsburgh and Evelyn found herself desperately trying to live up to him and his mum's conventions of proper wifely behaviour and probably was told she needed Mm. to throw things at the servants. Yeah. Harry continued to treat Evelyn like a queen in public and abuse her terribly in private. His drug use raged on and his mental state was becoming even more unhinged. He was convinced that Stanford White had hired mobsters to kill him and he'd started to take a gun with him wherever he went because that's what this guy needs, firepower. Yeah, no, just be happy with your jewel-encrusted whip. Yeah, it's... No guns. No, no guns for you, Harry. On June 25th, 1906, Harry and Evelyn were on a visit to New York before they were set to head to Europe on holiday. Harry had bought tickets for them to see a new show playing on the rooftop theatre of Madison Square Garden. Despite the intense heat, Harry refused to remove his long black overcoat inside the venue. What was the show, Mamma Mia? No, uh, it was it was kind of like, um, I can't remember exactly, but I know that it, it was like combining words into just matiz something. Like I just Cats? Hair. Stanford White had a regular table permanently reserved at the theatre that he'd designed himself, and at around 11pm he arrived and sat down. Harry made to approach Stanford's table, but it took him a few attempts to pluck up the nerve to fire three shots into Stanford's back and head. Oh, wow. Part of Stanford's blood-covered face was blown away, and the rest of his features were blackened by gunpowder, because back in the day, when you got that close, that's what happened. He died instantly. The crowd initially suspected the shooting might be part of the show. Oh, marvellous, marvellous. Oh, so realistic. Bravo. 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 Oh, and including Stanford White. Did you know that he's a genius? Uh, But they soon realised that he was actually dead. Oh, no. No, no. Pearls were clutched. Harry was immediately disarmed and taken into custody. The policeman who arrested him asked him why he did it, and Harry replied, I did it because he ruined my wife. He had it coming to him. He took advantage of the girl and then abandoned her. So I guess it's okay to take advantage of girls just as long as you don't abandon them. How much money do you need for that to make sense? Uh, I don't know, a fortune of $20 million. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Harry was charged with first-degree murder and denied bail. Though, due to his fortune, he had many special privileges. So there's actually some pictures of him in the jail. And he's not wearing prison-issue, like, jumpsuits or anything. He's wearing his own, like, tailored clothes. He's sitting at a formal table setting, eating a meal prepared in a fancy restaurant. 
you know, with all the fancy cutlery and wine and everything. And he doesn't just have like a horrible prison cot thing. He has a brass bed in his cell because yeah, little Lord Fauntleroy here just gets whatever he wants. Yeah. The jail's doctor was bribed to allow Harry a daily ration of champagne and wine and probably Class A drugs. Mm, Dr. Feelgood. Doctor, yeah, here's your daily ration of champagne and your daily ration of wine (laughs) and your daily ration of cocaine. Harry was in a positive frame of mind because he'd convinced himself that the world would see him as a hero for killing Stanford White. Okay, well, they definitely let him have cocaine. The newspapers had a field day with this scandal. The killing of a celebrity by a millionaire with the added sexual element saw newspapers flying off the stands. As preparations for the trial got underway, both the defence and prosecution used the press to try to gain an advantage. So both sides planted stories to portray Stanford and Harry as monsters, which didn't really take that much work. The main issue in the case was the question of premeditation. Now, Harry's mother was adamant that her son not be stigmatised by clinical insanity, so she pressed for the defence to follow a strategy of temporary insanity. This temporary insanity, they claimed, was caused by Stanford's appearance at the theatre. But the prosecution tried to disprove that by showing premeditation, claiming that Harry had to have known Stanford would have shown up at the theatre since he went there almost every night and had his own table. So everybody knew that. Yeah, everyone knew that. Common knowledge. It was absolutely common knowledge. But, you oh. know, like Harry is very detached from reality and Mommy just steps in to fix stuff up when it gets too shitty. The trial became about the character of the two men, and Evelyn's evidence was crucial. She'd been promised a payoff of $25,000 from the Thor family in exchange for her testimony. She testified on the stand to Stanford having raped her, while claiming that the affidavit she'd sworn against Harry for his abuse in Europe had been forced from her by Stanford's attorneys. So that's a bit of perjury right there. So, which never happened. No, that did not happen. Uh, But, you know, they offered her the money and she thought... Eh, you know, fuck Stanford. Yeah. In the end, the result was a hung jury. Harry was outraged at this and reportedly threw a temper tantrum with fits of physical flailing and crying in court (laughs) because he really knows how to Uh, handle when things don't go the way he wants. (laughs) He's like Cartman. Well, he deals with his frustrations quite well, doesn't he? Yeah, where's my whip, Mom? I need it now. In the second trial, the defence went for a plea of severe manic depression, saying that the murder took place during a manic episode. This time their plea was successful, and the judge ordered that Harry be indefinitely confined in the Matawan State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. Sounds fair. Well, yeah, his wealth again allowed him to be granted privileges not given to the general population. You know, his own unicorn. Yeah, right. All, all the cocaine that he can blow. No padded cells or straight Pro- jackets or... Oh, well, probably like, you know... Cells padded with emeralds and rubies. Now, Harry's attempts to have himself declared sane began almost as soon as he arrived, though his first attempt wound up just being even more salacious tabloid fodder. So the state managed to find evidence and witnesses to show Harry's abuse of sex workers in the years leading up to Stanford's murder. The incidents from 1902 to 1905 covered the period both before and after he learnt of Stanford's rape of Evelyn. So this ruined the argument that it was learning about her rape which had triggered his illness. Well, he'd been a psychopath since, you know, Ah, an early age. He was raised to be a psychopath by being entirely entitled and allowed to be violent and gross. Ah. The tabloids were, of course, fascinated by the lurid details of the jeweled whip and the $30,000 in payoffs that Harry's lawyer had organised to silence the women who he'd left permanently damaged. In August 1910, the judge ruled that Harry would be a danger to the public if released and had him returned to Matawan. The same year, Evelyn gave birth to a son that she named Russell William Thor. Evelyn said that Russell was the result of a conjugal visit to Harry, but he denied this and refused to acknowledge the boy. Harry and Evelyn were eventually divorced. Thank God. Well, he really is a prick, isn't he? He's such a prick. Why are you denying his own son now? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. well, I mean, if there's a cunty thing to do, he'll do it. Yeah, right. I guess he's predictable in a way because he's always going to take the cunty road, you know? (laughs) I didn't even know there was a road. Oh, it's, it's kind of a slide, really. It's well trodden <laughs> by our... It's a slippery, muddy slope, that one. In 1913, tired of attempting to gain his release through conventional means and bribery, Harry escaped from the asylum and fled north to Canada after his mummy organised it all for him. Oh. He fought against extradition and managed to get an agreement to a new trial as a condition of his return. 
because he always gets what he wants. He really does. There he was declared not guilty and no longer insane. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is fair, isn't it? In July 1915, he was released to a cheering crowd who'd been hyped up by his mother's publicity campaign, which had included songs, a play and a musical, all praising Harry for being a defender of American womanhood. Well, you really can rewrite history, can't you? You really if you have can enough money. buy history. Oh. Like, imagine all of the women that he'd abused seeing these headlines. Like, how gross would that be? Oh, please tell me he gets his comeuppance. Oh, well, you're just going to have to wait and see. Hoping to escape the American tabloids, Evelyn went to London to perform in the theatre. This is also where she wrote her 1914 memoirs. After being harassed by the press, she moved back to the US and realised that she'd have to trade on her notoriety in order to earn a living for her and her son. In the intervening period, Evelyn had appeared in five films based on her relationships with Stanford and Harry, as well as publishing the memoirs. Now, unsurprisingly, Fuck Up Harry's freedom didn't last long. In December 1915, in California, he met a 19-year-old named Frederick Gump who came from Kansas. Nice corn-fed Kansas boy. Mm. Over the course of a year, he convinced the young man's family to send him to New York to study at Carnegie Institute with Harry footing the bill. Instead, on Christmas Eve, he attacked Frederick with a whip, beating him before sexually assaulting him. He just can't help himself, can he? He really can't. I just don't think he's ever tried, probably. The next day, Frederick managed to escape and fled back to Kansas and his family. Once the New York police had corroborated Frederick's story, a warrant was issued for Harry's arrest. The Pennsylvania pug was arrested in Philadelphia, where the police found him unsuccessfully attempting suicide by cutting his own throat. What's the bet he just, like, nicked himself slightly and was like, Mummy, it hurts. Yeah, he should have tried harder. Mm. After this turn of events, Harry finally fell out of favour with the public. Yes! And after a quick trial, was found guilty of aggravated assault. Harry was sent to the Kirkbride Asylum in Philadelphia. He was released in 1924 and published his own memoir, The Traitor, two years later. It was a convoluted and terribly written tome that tried to portray Harry as a hero who saved numerous girls from future assaults by Stanford White. This is possibly true, but it didn't save them from numerous assaults from him, though, did it? Yeah. Also, he was more violent than Stanford White, and he did sexually abuse people as well as beat them. So I'm not really seeing that Stanford's worse than he is. It's a pot calling the kettle cunt. <laughs> it totally is. Now, the traitor of the title is not Stanford, but the defence attorney whose entering of in- an insanity plea denied Harry the vindication he felt he deserved. This was his mother's idea to go for an insanity plea, but no, his lawyer was a traitor. The abuse of Evelyn, servants, sex workers and Frederick Gump were all conveniently left out of the book too. Rewriting history again. Yet again, it's what he does. Harry attempted to break into the movie industry in the 1920s but failed. Suck it. Suck it. Finally someone said no. He died of a heart attack in Florida in 1947 at the age of 76. In his will, he left nothing to his son, Russell, who was by then a decorated World War II pilot. Go, Russell. Go, Russell. Evelyn finally escaped the chaos and media attention on the East Coast when she moved to Los Angeles during World War II. She set up a ceramic studio and became a sculptor and art teacher. She even lived to see herself immortalised by Joan Collins in the 1955 film The Girl in the Red Velvet Swing. That is after Marilyn Monroe turned down the part. She died in 1967 at the age of 82. That's a long life. Yeah, she did have a long life. Um, She said, I never regret my life. It would mean regretting much happiness. Um, But she also said something else that I thought summed up her experience at the time. This is from her memoirs. She said, women's steps are hellward because men are the road makers. And in terms of the era she was living in and the experiences she had, I think that (laughs) that really sums it up beautifully. It's very eloquent, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's quite heroic. What a survivor. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, so much of that happened to her before she was even 20, you know. Yeah. Um, so to manage to get through. And also the fact that there were drugs around with Harry and everything, like you would 
it would have to be tempting if you're being abused this much and probably in pain to just sort of go, yeah, give me those. But it sounds as though she she, she had some – no, look, she did have some rough phases with drinking and alcohol and drugs yeah. and things, but she didn't sort of just fall into it and stay there. She fought to kind of keep to, herself and her son healthy. Yeah, to get out of that life and, 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 and make something of herself. Hmm. Yeah, how horrible to be relying on the kindness of rich men, huh? Well, yeah. Well, she got out of that life, and good luck to her. Yeah. Hmm. Good story. Joan Collins would have to play me pretty soon in a movie if that's ever going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's going to happen for me. Yeah. No. Damn. I've been saying that about Bruce Willis for years. <laughs> You've been saying that about Gerard Depardieu for years. I have not. Lies. <laughs> Yo, MC Barney Bon Bon, what time is it? Well, Tara, it's True Crime Nerd time. Whee! True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, documentary, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your true crime itch. Are you itchy, Tara? You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it and we'll read it out. And I've got a corker here from Sabrina Watson. And she writes about Evil Genius. Oh, that was awesome. Evil Genius is a fascinating four-part Netflix true crime documentary about the pizza collar bomber case. This was a super weird bank heist which occurred in the town of Erie, Pennsylvania in 2003. A compelling first episode lays out the bare facts of the affair, which feels a bit like something you'd see in a Saw movie. (laughs) There are elements like that. Pizza delivery driver Brian Wells enters a bank with a bomb strapped to his neck and pleads with tellers to hand over cash before it explodes and kills him. Outside, police intercept and detain Wells, who tells them he is acting on the instructions of unknown individuals who have placed the explosive device on him and have given him a set of tasks to complete before the day is over. It's kind of like a scavenger hunt. Yeah, yeah, like a really um, sort of deadly scavenger hunt. The police are unsure whether or not to believe him. Then it explodes and, well, then they believe him. (laughs) As this mini-series unfolds, many eccentric suspects are interviewed and explored. This whole thing is batshit crazy and yet it's all true. Be warned, you do actually see Brian Wills get exploded, so you might want to look away during that bit. Yeah, there were no warnings about that either. Oh, it's not really that bad. It's pretty intense if you ask me. But what's more intense is the main female suspect, and she is just... I'm kind of obsessed with her. It's so weird and so just um, intriguing and interesting. It, um, yeah... Oh, I, I binged the shit out of it. Oh, and I, mean, then, I did too. Then wanted to almost throw it up out of my brain so I could binge it again. So thanks for that, Sabrina Watson. And it's called Evil Genius. You can find that on Netflix. Yeah, definitely worth a look. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Alright, Barney. Time for you to get murdery. When Marinda Boob conspired with her lover Ronald Highchell to kill her husband Samuel Boob. She enlisted the help of Kermit Butts. <laughs> this is probably my favourite sentence ever, and I've got to say, when this hit the media in late 2009, the newspaper headlines were glorious. Would you like to hear some, Tara? Oh, hell yeah. Butts tied to boob murder. <laughs> Detectives report that Butts cracked under interrogation. <laughs> Authorities suspect Butts was on crack during boob job. <laughs> right, okay, so they really wanted to get the whole crack thing in there too. They really did. But enough of that, this was a serious crime. So let's start at the beginning. 28-year-old Marinda Boob lived with her husband, 29-year-old Samuel Boob, in a place called Potter Township in Pennsylvania. 
Now, Tara, there are actually two places called Potter Township in Pennsylvania. One is in Beaver County. But this is the one in Centre County, unfortunately. Uh, look, I think it's probably for the best. It's probably I'm, I'm sure the, the innuendo will be uh, grand enough without you, some beaver. Did you say this is probably for the breast? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I did not. Centre County, Potter Township. The boobs live there with their four children. So two pairs of baby boobs. Yeah, and apparently they were unsupported. Oh, um, no. <laughs> oh, God. Am I, am I milking this boob thing too much? I could try and wean you off it, I suppose. <laughs> I really should press on. <laughs> oh, no. Like a nipple pasty? No. Okay. <laughs> but, 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 sorry. Just, this is serious. Now, at some point in early 2009, Marinda Boob told her friend Ronald Heichel that her husband Sam Boob was abusing her. Ronald, Sam Boob's co-worker and supposed friend, gallantly threatened to kick Boob's ass. Sam, that is. That was enough for Marinda Boob to fall into Ronald's arms and the two began to carry on an illicit, raunchy, sexy and very clandestine affair. Right, Ronald got some side boob. <laughs> Ronald got jiggly with boob. That's right. As the secret romance blossomed... Marinda and Ronald thought there were too many boobs on the dance floor and decided it might be wise to remove Sam Boob from the pair. Um, picture. They figured affairs are easier to conduct when the guy you're cheating on is dead. Well, it's not really an affair then, is it? No. Sam Boob also held a hefty life insurance policy that could fund their continued relationship. So in August of 2009, the illicit couple began planning to have Sam Boob slapped. I mean, whacked. <laughs> oh, I don't know what's going to happen by the end of this. I guess I feel like I'll never want to hear the word boob again. So they, be so they began meeting with a third man, the ass muppet himself, Kermit Butts, to help plot the murder. There's no way that's his name, Kermit Butts. It is. <laughs> In exchange for his assistance... Kermit Butts would get a sizable $5,000 when the insurance policy paid out. On the morning of August 23, 2009, Kermit Butts drove Ronald to the boob home on a scooter. Yes, a scooter, the sexy vehicle of choice for ass muppets to drop off their hitman buddy. <laughs> okay, maybe that's actually the best sentence you've that's ever said. That's pretty much my favourite sentence. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I get a feeling there's going to be a few of those. After arriving at the Tussieville Road boob house... Ronald lured Sam Boob into his garage and then blasted him with his own shotgun. Sam died instantly. Ronald then escaped and returned to work like nothing happened. Marinda Boob arranged to discover her husband as he lay dying in their driveway. Feigning despair over his condition and ignorance as to what happened, she spoke to a 911 operator. A few days after her husband's murder, Marinda Boob recounted his final moments to a friend. I'm glad I got to hear his final words, she told Sam's friend and brother-in-law, Ben Court, who was secretly recording the conversation for police. I'm very glad that I got to hear him tell me that he loved me. But later, the pathologist who performed Samuel Boob's autopsy testified at Marinda's trial that after being shot, it would have been impossible for him to say anything to his wife or even gesture. Well, that's a bit narcissistic of her to go around telling people that his dying words was to say that he loved her yeah. when she's organised the murder. No. Hmm. It would take just four days for police to arrest Marinda Boob and Ronald Heichel. It seems he had texted his bustardly named sweetheart prior to the murder, telling her to go to church so she'd have an alibi. She was bastardly named? Bustardly named. <laughs> right. He also texted her to say he was hiding in the garage before he killed Sam and that she should keep the kids inside the house so they didn't get hurt when he ambushed her husband. That's all a bit close to the family, isn't it? It really is. Alas, our two love-struck morons had apparently never realised that detectives might want to examine their mobile phone records during the investigation. Oh, that's probably a good thing, actually. It probably uh, helped them immensely to have such morons to deal with. An additional tap on Marinda Boob's phone found more titillating, incriminating evidence following the murder. This may have been the easiest homicide investigation in Potter Township, Pennsylvania's history, but at least our two moronic lovers weren't rats. 
It would take police a year to discover Kermit Butt's whole role in the boob murder. <laughs> oh, God. Whoa. <laughs> oh, you just had to say butthole, didn't you? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I, that was an accident. <laughs> Concession workers at a nearby fair said they saw Ronald and Kermit Butts acting strangely when ambulance sirens neared after the boob murder. What, what, what were they doing? Like Irish dancing? They were Irish dancing. Right. Well, That's that a- would be a weird way to respond. When it came to trial, it seemed that Marinda Boob had lost that loving feeling for Ronald as she started claiming that Ronald whacked her husband without her knowledge. Ah, oh, but we know that's not true from the messages, right? Well, that's right. Ah-ha-ha. Uh, Ronald, by contrast, asserted that his former lover was trying to pin the murder on him when his only crime was comforting a lonely and abused wife. He was happy for Boob to swing for this on her own. Yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) You are not. I think you're proud. Court documents showed Marinda sent text messages to Ronald on the day of her husband's murder. In fact, in the days leading up to her husband's death, Marinda Boob left a trail of text messages that show she was planning to have him killed. Rockview State Police say their investigation showed Ronald pulled the trigger, killing Sam Boob in his driveway about 10am, while Marinda was in the house with their four children texting Ronald with details about her husband's whereabouts and information on how to get into their garage and where to hide. That's very incriminating. Sam Boob had been shot once in the chest and then in the back after falling to the ground. In court papers, police say both of his hands had sustained gunshot injuries. Defensive wounds, I would say, Tara. Yeah, I guess uh, they were pretty close to each other when it happened. The first text conversation revealed by police in court papers took place on August 15th. Police did not identify the person Marinda Bob was communicating with when she wrote that she hoped Samuel Boob would be six foot under by September 10th. The start of the Nittany Antique Machinery Association's full show. Oh, well, that's the highlight of the social calendar, isn't it? Well, it really is. You don't want to be married when that comes around. Well, it's more of a single person's event, Yeah, I think. absolutely. Yeah. Marinda Boob said she planned to take him out with his gun. Police also revealed another point to this sordid love triangle. So it's kind of a square now. Oh, we've got more players. Hang on. Can we I guess their, their, their surname? Um, uh, Sidebottom, Cockburn, Knob, Johnson, Dick, Scat Muncher. <laughs> we are not as fortunate as to have those surnames. Right, okay. You, you could understand why I might assume that, though. Marinda Boob was having another affair with and talking to Wesley Decker up until the day before her husband's death. Wesley Decker. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really stand out amongst all the boobs and butts, does it? Decker linked to high child boobs butt slaying. The headlines <laughs> oh. now read. Oh, okay, yeah. All right, I can see you can it's do not, something with that. It's not bad. No, no. It's, yeah. It's something. Well, if it was a double murder, you could say double-decker boob slaying. Oh, yeah. But you'd have to get the butts in there somewhere too. Double-decker boob butt slaying? I don't even know what's up anymore. Well, Wes Decker testified in court saying she said she wanted someone to come into the house and murder him on the couch. That's the worst place to get murdered. Oh, the best. That's my safe place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why is it your safe place? I like to sit on the couch and relax. And assume that you're not going to be murdered while well, you're sitting. I, I feel that most people think that. Well, that's right. Watch a bit of telly, eat my dinner. Don't get murdered. Don't get murdered. Yeah. On the day Samuel Boob was shot, police say Marinda Boob had a text conversation with Ronald. Part of that conversation follows, exactly as it appears in the court papers. Are you ready? I am always ready. Ronald, let me know when he is in the house. Marinda, okay, he is. Ronald, well, you will have your pond very soon. Will he lock the door when he comes in? Marinda, probably, the garage. Ronald, how can I get key? Court papers say Marinda Boob told police many contradicting stories during the course of her interviews after Samuel Boob's death. One of them was that she'd met Ronald about six weeks earlier and asked him to install a pond at her property. So by a pond, are we talking about murder her husband, do you think? I think initially she wanted a real pond, Yeah. but then used it as code. Right. So initially she wanted a pond and then she decided that she'd rather have her husband killed than have a pond. Maybe she's going to have a pond and a dead husband. Like, best of both worlds. (laughs) 
<laughs> I like your logic. Police say she also told Ronald her husband would slap her around and told police that Ronald decided to confront and rough up Samuel Boob. This reminds me of the Australian Gothic story from last week, this bit. Yeah. So there was never any evidence of fighting between the boobs or, <laughs> or any abuse by Sam Boob. Okay, so there's no one witnessed it. No, there were no like um, hospital visits or um, nothing calling like that. domestic violence calls to the cops or anything. And she okay. never told anyone else about this abuse. Okay, so she only started saying it in the lead up to when she wanted a pond. Yeah, Ronald. Okay. Oh, also in that um, email from the woman who suggested this case, she said that her boyfriend knew this guy. Yeah, and he was a stand-up guy. In a text message conversation on August 23rd, shortly before police say Samuel Boob was killed, Core Papers show Ronald asked Marinda Boob, are you sure you want the pond done? She responds, I would love to have the pond done. <laughs> right. As part of the investigation, police say they suspect someone moved Sam Boob's truck to a spot on the Boob's lawn placing it so that it shielded the view of Samuel Boob's body from the street. Booby footprints, sorry. What? Bloody footprints were also found at the scene, which police matched to Marinda Boob's shoes. Well, she did say that she, you know, he, he said those last words about how awesome she was. It sounded like she had shoes for her boobs. Boob shoes? So you're saying that you don't wear them? How well, else can I walk on my boobs without getting blisters? I ask you now. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because... <laughs> oh, God. Because Verizon keeps records of text messages for only a short period of time, messages exchanged before August 15th weren't recovered. What police did have showed Ronald and Marinda Boob had frequent conversations at least far back as mid-August. And the text message exchange between Marinda Boob and Ronald the morning Samuel Boob was killed showed a conspiracy immediately prior to Samuel Boob being fatally shot, police explain. That's fair enough. Yeah, that sounds likely. Police say Marinda Boob also had the following conversation on August 15th with an undisclosed person, who we will call other. Okay, but hang on. Do you have any theories about who it is? I will. I'll tell okay. you that. Other, the antique show starts September 10th to the 13th. I got a thing in the mail today. Wow, they really live for this antique show, don't they? Marinda, okay, hopefully he will be six foot under. Marinda, yay, I'm going to do it when he gets home. Other, do what? Marinda, take him out. Other, how? Marinda, his gun. Other, does he have the bullets in it? Make sure you get the right ones or it won't work. Oh, actually, that's making me think she's talking to her dad. <laughs> now, make sure you get the right bullets, son. Now, I think other may have been Boob's other lover, Wesley Decker. Wesley Sidebottom Cockburn Johnson. I don't believe that was his... I believe, actually, that was his full name. <laughs> yeah, he changed it to Decker later because he got picked on. In his closing statement, District Attorney Stacey Parks Miller, it's a very ordinary name, told the jury... The evidence will show you Marinda Boob wanted out of this marriage. She grew up spoilt, got what she wanted. Marinda Boob just wanted a different life. One positive thing about Marinda Boob, she's not a quitter because she kept trying to find a man who would help her kill her husband. I don't really see that as being a positive, do you? It's not a positive. No, that's, that's quite a negative thing, really. Stacy. It's like when I was telling you the other day, Tara... I may be old, but at least I'm immature. You explained to me being immature <laughs> is not actually a positive. Well, you know, not usually. I'm young at heart. I still play with Lego. No, Barney, that's not good. Oh, I didn't say any of this. I, I, you know I treat you like you're the second coming of Rodney Dangerfield. That's why I'm encouraging you to go to college and uh, I'm going to shut up I now. I hate that stupid Dean. Yeah, you got to get revenge on him and the nerds. Hey, nerds. Hang on, hang on. This is not a positive too. No, it's not. Oh, all right, back to the story. The jury deliberated for less than two hours before finding Marinda Boob and Ronald Heichel guilty of murder. They were both convicted of all four charges against them, first and third degree murder, criminal conspiracy to commit homicide and conspiracy to commit aggravated assault. The first-degree murder conviction resulted in an automatic life sentence. They also were each sentenced to 20 to 40 years on the conspiracy to commit homicide charge to be served in state prison. 
Marinda Boob sagged outside court and said of the sentence, It sucks. <laughs> really, that was her soundbite. Uh. Oh, it sucks. <laughs> um, those poor children. There were four kids. Now their father's deceased and their mother's in prison. Yeah, it's awful yeah, for those kids. that's messed up. I mean, it's bad enough that they've got Boob as their surname, but yeah. to, um, to lose their parents like that, that's yeah, awful. Yeah, exactly. And there's no pond. And yeah, the pond was never installed. <sighs> But what of Kermit Butts? <laughs> the law would eventually catch up with the ass Muppet. He pled guilty to hindering prosecution and was sentenced to only 11 months in prison. Well, I guess dinking your mate to a, a crime scene isn't such a bad thing. On your sweet Muppet scooter. Yeah. <laughs> Kermit Butts. I think that's the best name in this whole thing. It is an ass Muppet. Yeah, it definitely is an ass Muppet. Wow. Mm. Um, so, this is real? Because <laughs> I have trouble believing it with all these butts and I boobs. Actually, uh, look, there was a lot of just headlines and people laughing about it uh, oh, in my research. Yeah. But I actually did find some court documents to back this up. So, it it's, really it's not just an NT News headline? No, thank you, Brooke Shandor, for uh, bringing that to my attention. Yeah. That's <laughs> just not something I would have thought of. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, there's this thing called Aussie As, though actually my last story sounded like an Aussie As. Even though uh, they weren't Australian. Yeah. What is Aussie As? Well, they're tales of criminal stupidity with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Pig's ass. Like that, you bloody mongrel. Give me my Aussie As. No. Give it to me. All right. Now you got to strap yourself in for this one because it's quite a ride. All right, I'm ready. At around 1.30pm, a man was walking around How Bazaar Antiques in North Geelong and remarked to a shop assistant, Oh, what a great shop you've got! The shop owner, Peter Summers, probably nicknamed Summo, said, As he walked out, my best friend walked in and said, Did that guy just buy a turtle? What? <laughs> What's going on? Realising a large taxidermy turtle with a price tag of $500 was missing from the shop, Samo and the shop attendant Jared, let's call him Jazza, ran after the man who'd given himself a five-finger turtle discount. <gasps> he stole the turtle? He stole the turtle! By now, the thief had taken off on a bicycle with the big taxidermy turtle tucked under his arm. It was a bizarre sight indeed. <laughs> But the reptile-loving shoplifter did not get far. A freight train stopped his velocipede in its tracks near Separation Street. Samo said, Just around the corner there was a freight train that was coming through, so he couldn't get too far away. Cut off his getaway. Samo, who was in a car, and Jazza, who was on foot, boxed him in. And then the turtle burglar hit the car and fell to the ground. Yeah, he hit the car. Sounds, I feel like the car hit him. Sounds like a car chase with a freight train. With you know, freight, he could have jumped through an open box no, car or something. No, not with that turtle under his arm, he not, couldn't. No. Not on, his, not on his pushy. So Samo called the cops while Jazza held him down. Uh, Samo said, Jared just let him loose for a second when he jumped up and pulled something from his bag. I was saying, what's that? What's that? We looked at it and it looked like a pipe bomb. Oh, bloody hell, that escalated. <laughs> it really did. At this point, it became a community effort as a guy who runs an auto business across the road grabbed some cable ties. He said a young man who'd pulled up in a van to help grabbed the ties off him and wrapped them around the turtle taker's hands. Police arrived within minutes and arrested the well-armed stranger. The man was found with a pipe gun at the time of his arrest, a police spokeswoman said. Now, Samo said that once police looked inside his bag, they pulled out two homemade weapons. He was also carrying a lot more stolen swag from the antique store. Oh, we have a thousand square metres at the antique store, so it's really hard to keep an eye on everyone as they're walking through the shop. He had nuts and bolts and stickers and bits of jewellery. His pockets were full. I got a bag full of stuff from police afterwards. This is the very first time I've heard of kleptomaniac taxidermy turtle takers armed to the teeth with homemade weapons. Nice one, Geelong. Wow. So he, he actually had a bag full of swag from there. He coveted the precious things of the shop. He really did. But taking that turtle, mm -hmm. it was a turtle too far. It was a turtle too far. He could and have got away with all the other swag. He would, he would have got away with it. Wow. Yeah, but that $500 taxidermy turtle was just too good to not steal. I did not know where that story was going. 
think anyone did. Uh, yeah. So if you happen to see a guy riding a bike with a large taxidermy turtle under his arm, who knows whether he came by it through burglary or if he actually purchased it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm taking away from this. Yeah, that, I think it's important for everyone to be on the lookout. Before we go, I'd like to thank Michelle St. John Smith for giving us a nice review. Oh, thank you. So thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons. If you'd like to support us, visit our website or if you just want to buy us a drink. <laughs> That's my thirsty voice. It There's... certainly is. Uh, it also kind of sounds like your kind of constipated voice. Oh, it's so thirsty. Ooh. Need beer. There's a PayPal donate button there too. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraban. Or Tarsar, as we call her here. Oh, no, you don't call me that. Tarsar. Ah, oh, Biba. Bibla. Oh, we just did some bloody murder. Please don't forget to review us on iTunes. And, of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us. Uh, Review us on our Facebook page, too, if you don't use iTunes. Yeah, if you want. Uh, Join our Facebook group, Bloody Murder Podcast. The Fan Bam. Follow us on Twitter and Snapchat and Insta. Check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for news galleries, more episodes, and our lovely merchandise, including uh, links to our range of perfumes. Mm, Smell murdery. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. What if you're the pricks? Kick against me. I do, every day. I know, every day. Every minute of every day. (sighs) All the time. 20 years is a long time. To be friends. Too long. Too long. Like 10 years too long at least. Yeah. Yeah, we should have called it quits ages ago. (laughs) Uh, That's too late now. Is it? Yeah, I mean, are you going to make new friends? No. It's been a while. I, tr- I try that out from time to time. Yeah, I don't know. People don't generally like Barney. You never leave your fucking house. What do you expect them to, to go come to the, here? I'm going to go down the pub later. They had, they had the intercom on in the room, and they kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. Have yeah? a drink. Well, yeah. last time we went, you were talking to people that you didn't know before. Did yeah. they hate you? No. Yes. Do they? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> My kids like me. Do they? No. <laughs> oh, my dog likes you. No. no. <laughs> Your dog hates me. Look, to be fair, she doesn't like most people. She finds them very scary unless while well, they're sitting down and giving her treats. Yeah. All right. I'll take that on board. I really got nothing today, do I? I would like to get a pet pig. Then you can be the pig man of East Brunswick. That's right. This has been a plan of yours for ages. You need to make it happen. I'm actually really going to look into it. It might be a Christmas present for my kids. A pig? Yes. Are you planning on keeping the pig in this house? Yeah. Where? In the backyard. It won't be a full-size pig. It'll be a miniature pig. How big do they grow? I don't know. Big as a Coke can? I don't think they're that small. Really? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think they eat? Lego bricks? No, they eat food, but just miniature versions of food. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you've thought this through. They can shrink animals down now, can't they? You're going to end up with a razorback in your backyard. It's going to oh. eat all your neighbours. Yeah, I'll eat all your neighbours. Go ahead, start with the Irish guys. Their doof doof music's back again. Oh, really? Or you could start with the ones who leave us mean notes if we were too loud the night before. They never ask us to turn it down. They just leave us a really mean note. Oh, really? What do the notes say? It's like, for your information, other people live in this area too. Bleh, bleh, bleh. I mean, just fucking, you know, tell us. Just suck it up, eh? Or just tell us. Like, that's what we do with the, the other horrible neighbours. I actually like a loud party outside outside that I can hear throughout the night. It makes me feel safe, actually. We don't actually. have parties. We just play music too loud sometimes. Yeah, But right. it'd be like 70s music. It's not like it's the doofy shit from next door. Yeah, right. Bit of eagles. Um... Not, not so, so not, much. Not so much. Pilot. Steely Dan. Steely Dan. Nice. Pilot for sure, yeah. Well, people don't generally throw up poo unless they've eaten it. No, it was it was something on my wrist. Oh. <laughs> I thought you just coughed it up. No. <laughs> you just coughed up poo? No. Oh, what have you been up to? <laughs> I don't 
don't even. I don't want to know where your menage hey, well, poo <laughs> things are going on. Where do you think you bum tongue leads? I mean, come on. Well, that's right. <laughs> it leads to scat mouth. I well, that's say. right. If you hiccup, you're you know that's a it's a quick breathe in, and then you know you're throwing that stuff up later because it's not good for you, Tara. <laughs> We're taught this at a very early age to disregard your own feces. Don't eat it. Don't draw pictures on the wall with it. These are rules that we learn when we're like about three. Now, if I have to show you how to disregard your own feces these days, I think we need to maybe, we need to rethink this arrangement. How come everything we say today is just the worst? Are we broken? Oh, you know what? Those reviews, they should have put them together. The one that said I was really unfunny and you are really unfunny. They should have just said we were both really unfunny. Well, no, they were different opinions from different people. Yeah. Those people thought that you were unfunny, but they thought I was funny. And then yeah. the other one thought that the other, the reverse. Yeah. yeah. But they were both wrong. They were and bo- they were both right. They were both wrong and they were both right. <laughs> and now all I can think of is jokes about, like, Things that people can't joke about, and then all right, come on, Tara, head in the game, bitch. Head up your ass. Ah, better than being up yours. That's how it got in your mouth. That might be how. Now, the following year in 1902, Evelyn was romanced by John Mal. John John Malkovich. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he is vampire. The following year. Podcast. Podcast. I hate you. Podcast. Hate podcast. You so podcast. 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 Bloody murder. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a carrot grows into your bum every time you say pod. Podcast. And it's a surprise every time. Well, it's, be- well, it's, well, it's been established it's because I'm a cunt. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why my voice goes <laughs> yeah, off. I know that. True crime podcast. <laughs> ooh. I think there's just like a, ooh, like maybe a ghost finger. A little a ghost, ghost finger a little in your, uh, on, oh, really? on your a butt. Ghost prostate exam? Yeah. Ooh, podcast. Mm. Ooh, podcast. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way I can explain how it sounds. Well, yeah, get fucked. That's, that's the way I can explain it. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.